Today we will read from Ephesians, the third chapter, and John, the sixth chapter. And I'll do as I've been doing. I'll read the, the Ephesians text, and then I'll read the gospel text, and speak a little after each one. So here's Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through God's Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to God, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, in this, verse of, in this uh, third chapter of Ephesians, which ends with a prayer and amen, but does not end the chapter or the book. You know, Paul offers a prayer that the people of God might be able to understand what it is that they've been given. And, you know, it reminds me of sometimes, you know, my, my parents would look at me when I was being particularly ungrateful and you know, they would, they would get me a video game system with a couple games, and a week later I'd want more games, and they say, wasn't what we got you enough? You know, or, you know, we'll get to spend some time with the people we like, and we, we find ourselves wanting more time, even though we sure are appreciative of, of what we get. Or someone makes a sacrifice for us and goes out of their way to make sure that we have something that we need, and... There are moments where we bite the hand that feeds us and we, we end up acting ungratefully. Or maybe I've gone out of my way to provide something that this other person needs and they act ungratefully and I get angry. You know, that's the thing about relationship is it's easy to get our feelings hurt. It's easy to, to forget how important the gifts that other people give us. It's, it's easy to kind of move on to the next thing even though we... We need to be spending a little bit of time figuring out how to be grateful for what's been given us. And so what Paul is saying in this letter, in this prayer, is do not forget. Do not forget the love. Do not forget the grace. Do not forget the freedom that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do not forget the joy that comes in community. Do not forget what you have been given Because what you have been given is something that is real and holy and it will make you whole. And when he ends by saying now to by God who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. We are reminded that what God gives us is something beyond our simple wants or desires or even beyond what we think we need. And definitely not according to those things we crave But God sees who we are, our strengths and our failings, our joys and our sorrows, our competencies and our weakness and incompetencies. And God gives us that thing we need, a place 
love, nourishment. The acknowledgement that where God is, we have a space with God. Because sometimes that's all we can hope for. That we might be at the end of our ropes, but knowing that we have a place where we belong changes things. And so here's a story of people who are looking for a place, people who are looking for Jesus. And Jesus has just gotten done, you know, kind of having an argument of, with, the, with the chief priests and elders and the muckety-mucks in, in his church and identifies himself as one who serves God and not one who serves the will or the whims of human beings. And then he goes off and we get this space in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd kept following Jesus because they saw signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with the disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what, was, what Jesus was going to do. And Philip answered Jesus, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? And Jesus said, Make the people all sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered the fragments up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. And when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The Gospel of the Lord. So we, we have in today's gospel lesson another one of those moments where it's really important to recognize what we've been given. And, you know, I said in the children's message that perhaps bread and fish isn't really what the point of this is, but that somehow the kingdom of God has come near. Now, in, in the gospel of John, we don't hear Jesus perform miracles. Jesus performs signs. And actually, the kingdom of God has come near is a line that I lifted from Mark, the very first line of dialogue that Jesus has, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And in John and in, in Mark, when he says that, it's also the time is now. But in John, even when we're here, we are still in a moment where Jesus has not yet said the time is now. Whenever we talk to Jesus about time up until John chapter 12, my time is yet to come. And so here we are in, in terms of the Gospel of John in a preliminary moment 
We're, we're in a moment that is, where all is not yet ripe. We are in a moment where we are preparing ourselves for what is to come. We are in a moment where Jesus is still trying to get his disciples on board with what they're doing. Jesus is still only riling up the chief priests and scribes and elders. You know, Jesus is still teaching and preaching and healing and doing all kinds of signs and wonders, and these signs are the signs of the kingdom of God. This is what happens when God is near. Hungry people are fed and sick people are healed. And so what happens when those 5,000 people gather and Jesus says to to Philip, well, how are we going to feed these people? What are we going to do? You know, the, the implication is somehow it's their responsibility. And the implication is surely there's not enough to feed all these people, even though Jesus had something up his sleeve. And so when we, when we look at what's going on here and what's being set up, Jesus is teaching the disciples a really important lesson. And that important lesson is this, that God does not call us to do things for which God does not provide the resources to do them. What, what we are hearing is this, that it doesn't matter what the obstacle is when we are doing the work of God then God makes the way. And if the way of helping people to understand what the kingdom of God looks like is through barley loaves and fish, then by God those people are going to be fed and there's going to be 12 baskets left over. And those 12 baskets aren't an accident. Those 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Spoiler alert. But what this says, the 12 baskets representing the 12 tribes of Israel, is not a single one will be left behind. There are none of my people for whom I do not have a plan. There are none of my people for whom I do not have a use. There are none of my people for whom I have not prepared a place. There are none of my people who will not eat richly at my table. Because even now, while we don't see the, the kingdom of God in its fullness, we can experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God through the breaking of the bread. And it's also no accident that in this space, in John, John chapter 6, which is the, the bread of life chapter, and you'll see why over the next three weeks, because there are 71 verses in this chapter and we're going to read all of them over the course of, the, of these four weeks. And we'll see more and more and more revealed about what it is that chapter 6 is doing. But here is what I'll say is that John chapter 6 is the closest in this gospel that we get to the act of communion. And, it's, and I say that because in John's gospel, on the night of Passover and the night which Jesus was betrayed... What they do among themselves while they are alone in the upper room is Jesus washes their feet. And that also is a symbol of communion, a symbol of sacrifice, a symbol of what kind of leader Jesus is and what kind of leaders the disciples are called to be. And so what kind of disciples we're called to be that we're called to lead through service. We're called to love through acts that, that worship God and how we love each other. And what we gather in community is not something that allows us to lord over other people, look at all the knowledge we have and look at all the things we have and look at all we can do. But what God has given us 
is the responsibility and accountability to be the keeper of the people around us who God loves. And I think of Cain and Abel after Cain slew Abel. And God said, where is your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And just know anytime you ask that question, the answer to this is yes. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. Yes, I am responsible for those around me. Yes, I am responsible for using the power I have to make sure I lift people up around me. Yes, I am responsible for loving the people who are being awful to me. Yes, I am responsible for figuring out a way to love myself, even when I feel unlovable. And it's not a responsibility of conviction. It's simply the weight of love. Because in the kingdom of God, this is what love looks like. Love looks like the breaking of the bread and the lifting up. And in the Gospel of John, where you see bread broken and something lifted up, we're always pointing toward the cross and the empty tomb. Because that is where Jesus' time comes in its fullness. The place where heaven and earth meet. Not in a fancy room with a big banquet table. But on a hill where sinners are executed. On a hill where people who run afoul of the Roman Empire are murdered in a most ignoble way. In a place where hope is lost because hope was designed to be destroyed there. The kingdom of God comes there and heaven meets earth. Justice and peace kiss you know, we see the newness of the kingdom of God in the, in the breaking and also in the healing of the empty tomb. And so Jesus breaks bread and he feeds 5,000 people. And it's a sign of what is to come. The breaking and the healing. The destruction and the mending. The sorrow and the joy that comes after knowing that the sorrow and the joy change us inalterably. Because when we've been through something like that, we can't come back out the same. Joan Didion says you can't go home again. And it's not because we can't find the space, because we can find the old addresses. It's not because people have repainted, because you know we can still recognize rooms that have been repainted. It's simply because once you leave a place and you have departed, you never go back to the same place again because it has moved on in time and we have moved on in time. It's almost as if this is some sort of metaphor for the last year and a half that all we want is to go home, for things to be familiar again, for things to be the way they were. But we realize when we think about the way they were, holy cow, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things I don't want to go back to. And so what do we go back to in a world where everything has changed? And even those things that we want to feel the same feel so different. We recognize it in that moment when we are hungering and thirsting for the comfort that comes from the familiar what we find instead is the God who makes all things new. God doesn't take us back to where we were, but God instead 
leads us through our time of wilderness, through our time of struggle, through our time where we feel like we are wandering even though we're following God. God leads us through that time of pain, knowing that if we stop there, we just stop in our pain. God leads us through that time of grief because God does not cheapen grief by, by skipping it. And into the new land, into the new place, into the new heritage hall, into the new sanctuary, into the yard where we worship out there, into the dreams of September when we go back and worship in the sanctuary like we did before. And we're going to sing the songs that we used to sing and we're going to use the liturgy that we've been using for our entire lives and we're going to see some people who we're used to seeing and it's going to feel so good. And it's all going to be different because the truth is you never can go home again. But we find home in the love of the one who calls us to these new places and in the love of the community that lifts us up and surrounds us. So as we, as we contemplate this feeding and this hunger, as we contemplate the community gathered, but none of them really understanding what they're doing, we join them there in this field where God provides us what we need in the interim, knowing that lies a, what lies ahead is going to be both wonderful and terrible, joyous and sorrowful, and knowing that through it all, the love of God will sustain us as it always has. And in that, we find our home. Amen.